I'm going to ask you to do something if you would this morning, and that stand with me as I just read this first passage of Scripture. And then we're going to pray. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I praise you and thank you this morning. And Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you help me to to just communicate and teach, preach. Lord God, what I believe that you put on my heart for your people this morning. Help us to have ears to hear. And not just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. They all said, Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Come on, give somebody a high five again if you would. Welcome online. If you're online with us this morning, we just uh, welcome you. Hey, you know, it's really fun actually to just interact too. We've got got somebody who pastors each week online. And, and, uh, and, you know, give, give, give our online pastor a shout. Make them feel wanted and needed. It's always good. Amen? Listen, um, uh, Robbie and I had about a week of vacation, and then the following week we were in Canada uh, helping a couple churches. Uh, and that's, that's the heart that I have is to help pastors and help churches. And, and i just so appreciative of the grace of our church and our leadership to allow us to be a resource. That's part of what we do here as a ministry. And Pastor Joel did a great job. How many of you... How many of you love the, the word he brought a couple weeks? I, I listened to it online. I thought he did okay. It was really good. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm messing with you. That was really, that was really good. I got inspired. But this week, uh, we are opening up our summer book study, uh, the book of Romans. Every summer, we take one book of the Bible, and for the next you know, 12 weeks, we just unpack it as best we can. And that's why I started out with that first passage in Romans. And I'm excited, but man, I'm telling you what, it's a daunting task. Because uh, I know if we talk to our, our, our pastoral preaching team, we could teach the whole summer on just chapter one of the book of Romans. Amen. But we're going to do our best to, to highlight some incredible truth, principles, and challenges. Listen, Romans teaches us that we don't trust in ourselves but only in Christ for our salvation. It teaches us that faith is the declaration and decision that anchors us to salvation. Romans teaches man's sinfulness, sinful nature, teaches justification by faith, regeneration, union with Christ, adoption, sanctification. Romans teaches that the faith of Abraham should be imitated, that we should be patient in trouble, have peace and struggle, that we should be dead to sin, hope in the future, pray and proclaim the gospel, that sin is not to be taken lightly, and that there is judgment. And people don't like to hear that, but there is a judgment. And that there is hope. Romans reminds us how sinful we are and teaches us at the same time how loved we are. Romans shows us applications in life. 
in the church, in our community, in our families, in our relationships. Romans is about a worldview, actually about a biblical worldview that teaches, that tells us, that illuminates, that challenges us to think in a different way. In many great ways, it's simply change your mind. Transform your thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like the great makeover. You know, I was thinking about this message and I thought about people that like flip houses. You know, they go buy a house, buy this old house. And you know, when you look at the, at the end product, they just do amazing things with it. But what do they do? They purchase it first, right? Because you can't do a makeover unless you purchase it first. And we're purchased by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that we know that you're not your own. You've been purchased with a price. Well, then the second thing you do is you've got to clean it out. Right? Because usually those houses are just like full of whatever. And that really speaks to me of deliverance. It's like the Spirit of God just comes in and begins to deliver us from some things, from some captivity, some mindsets, from some oppression, some addictions, whatever. And then He starts the remodeling process, which is the reframing and reforming of how you think. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He renews our mind. Winston Churchill said this, those who never change their mind never change anything. That's powerful. Man, you know, we came back after a week gone, and one of the things that we have going on at home is about, I don't know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, we had this like litter of kittens. And um, we ended up, Robbie did a great job. I mean, because you want to socialize them little beasts, right? I mean, you do. You want to make sure that they're good citizens. And so she's really good. She, she picked them up all the time and she pet them and she talked to them and probably prayed for them and all this kind of stuff. And we ended up giving one away to our friends, um, Brian and Cindy Dawkins. And that cat is the most friendly cat in the world. You, you go to their house and that cat runs up to you and will not leave you alone. The cat that we got is the freakiest cat. It doesn't want to have anything to do with you unless it needs to get fed, right? But the other thing that that cat does, and I can't figure it out, is it wants to, when my shop is open, it wants to run in my shop. And so what you do is if you haven't seen the cat for a day or two, it's like, go check the shop because the cat's probably in the shop. Listen, there's no food. There's no water. There's nothing in the shop. That cat's going to die in the shop, right? I keep telling Robbie, so we come home, cat's gone. Okay, day two, day three, day four. I go into my shop, and I'm like, the cat's got to be in here. The cat won't make a noise. I mean, there's nothing, nothing going on. You know, and day four, day five, we're starting like, well, okay, I guess Mr. Wiley Coyote got the cat. Or you try to tell yourself, another family loved the cat better than we loved the cat. And it's probably living on somebody's porch. It's getting fed well. That's what you try to tell yourself, right? And so finally, I go into my shop about the fifth day, y'all. And I see that I've got a, a fishing rod with a, with a wing tied to the end of it because I have bird dogs and I'll use that to train bird dogs. And it's been drugged from that side of the shop under my pickup. And I'm like, there's something going on in here. I might have a pack rat in my shop. And so I go, I go around and I look and I can't find anything. And I go in the house and I say, Rob, this is really weird, but I got a rod. It's under my shop. This is weird. So we grab a flashlight. I bring her into the shop. I'm thinking I'm going to find a pack rat and I'm going to hear my wife scream. I mean, that's just the way it would be. So I go up to this little um, loft that we have and there's all kinds of boxes and I'm waiting for a pack rat or something because I, I heard something kind of scurry up there. 
And so I'm kicking boxes. And finally, the one box that I hadn't touched before, I touched it and boom out jumps our cat. He's been in there for five days. And I'm like, that cat is going to die in there. And now he's, he's out. He was in our driveway this morning yelling at us. I mean, because that's what he does. He just like meows at you. He wants to get back in the shop. But that's the mindset of a lot of people. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And yet you'll find people, I just feel like today, there's going to be people that are actually delivered in some area of thinking, of habit, of addiction, or whatever's going on that you can't seem to keep but falling into the trap again. Amen? So you and I have this incredible amount of information that assaults us every day. Attempting to form, to frame, and to fashion our mindset. Our worldview, if you will. Trying to impart a worldview that will kill you. The average person encounters 1,000 ads a day. 1,000 to average person. Trying to basically create a need in you trying to create a desire in you, try to shape how you think, try to shape your opinions. Listen, you, need, you know, there's some bad theology that gets, that, that if you're not getting your theology from the Word of God, there's, there's, a, there's a reframing that needs to happen. Do you recognize that 70% of Christian kids that go to college end up falling away from their faith? And only 35% return to their faith. That's George Barna's latest study as parents and grandparents we're called to be committed to instilling into them the word of god kingdom foundations and sending them out into the world as lions and not lambs now i'm 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 just going to tell you romans is a tough book because there's some stuff that it's like buckle up buttercup because it's tough paul doesn't hold any punches he doesn't pull punches. He, he basically says it the way it is. But when I consider this, I, I, I had the thought that if we spend as much time, money, and effort as we do making sure that they can throw or hit a baseball, shoot a basket, or kick a ball, it could be world-changing. You've got to hold this tension. And listen, I, I coached baseball. I coached basketball. I had, I, my, my two boys were athletes. We were always trying to, to manage this tension because I realized that really I'm going to stand before Jesus and it's not being like, man, your kid can throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Good on you. No, it's going to say, I'm, I'm going to give an accounting for his soul, for his heart. And so we would try to find that tension. We'd say, okay, you're going to go to NBC basketball camp, but you're going to go to youth camp as well. It's a non-negotiable. Too many parents today, if I can just be honest with you, they let their kids steer the ship. You are called to lead your kids. Your kids are not called to lead you. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I'm sorry. It's not about what you want. It's about what you need. Right? I mean, so this is tough because we're talking about a biblical worldview. A worldview definition is a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. So where does your standpoint come from? What's influenced your worldview, your standpoint in a culture that's redefined marriage, that's redefined gender, that celebrates and takes pride in what the Bible clearly defines as brokenness and sin? 
Where's your worldview coming from? Pastor Frank DiMaggio recently in a meeting said this, and I actually texted Pastor Frank. I said, how did you put that down? Because I really, that really resonated in me. And he said, I compassionately love people, but my filter is Scripture. I'm bound to Scripture. I'm bound to the Word of God. That is my filter. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture, not just some, not the ones I like, the ones I don't like, I don't know, I don't agree with that. It says all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And those are actually probably three words, maybe even four words that we just don't really like. How many of you love to be reproved? Oh, I live to be reproved. Said no one ever, Right? We don't like that. I mean, because there's something in us that kind of says, I think I, got my, I think I got my mud together. You know, I think I got it all figured out. Well, we don't have it all figured out. But this is, and Second Peter says this, 121, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about, think about how your relationships and your interactions with people would just change if we were carried by the Holy Spirit instead of carried by our emotions, by our anger, by our frustration. You know, that if anybody that you're talking to, it's like, Lord, you first say, oh, listen, um, I'm going to talk to my brother Stephen, and I'm like, oh, man, I, okay, time out. Carry me, carry my conversation by your Holy Spirit. Okay, now, I think it's going to go a whole lot better. How about an interaction with your spouse? Man, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go reprove my wife right now. Okay, let my words and my action be carried by the Holy Spirit, right? Because what you just saw doesn't work very well. Don't let me tell you about how I know that, right? Okay. Now, of course, there's proper hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpretation, hermeneutics, fancy, cool work. There's application. There's context. But a huge part of what Paul is doing is changing, shaping, and rebuilding a worldview that has been invaded by evil and sin. And this maybe even more so applies to us today. So first of all, this letter uh, from the Apostle Paul that's written to a church he's never visited. I think that's really pretty cool. Uh, Paul's been preaching for close to 25 years. His Theology is settled, it's sound, he planted thriving churches, and most scholars believe that the letter was written in about A.D. 57. So it's also important to know about the church, because you want to know about the recipient. You know, a letter is written with the recipient in mind. I'm going to write a different letter to my children than I would my wife, etc. So, so what we're finding is, is that the in context, in A.D. 49, the Emperor Claudius had actually expelled all the Jews from Rome for basically continuing to argue whether or not Jesus was really the Christ, was really the Messiah. And we'll, and we'll find out later why, why Paul addresses that. So even the Jewish Christian leaders of the church would have been almost overnight basically expelled from Rome. So you would see like Priscilla and Aquila and And people like that would be like, oh, sorry. And so almost overnight, the Roman church became not 
not, not you know, a Jewish influence led, but actually Gentile led. And then later they were let back into Rome, okay? And, and a, huge, um, a huge point of this is that, is that Paul's writing to a church now that has got people that are leading and people that are there that all come from different influences and different streams and different uh, ways of thinking. Like, for example, when I married my wife, um, she had no stream. She had no, she was a, she, her words, I'm not being, I'm not being unconscious, I was a pagan baby. You know, I was raised up in church and she was a heathen, right? I mean, that's kind of, well, kind of like that. We'll talk about it later. Okay, okay. Hey, y'all, we've been married for 43 years, August 2nd, so it's all good. So, so what's happening, you know, even in the church today, there's different streams. You know, some of us come from like, you know, I came from a reform stream or Calvinistic stream or Armenian stream or Catholic stream or Pentecostal stream or charismatic stream or whatever. You have people coming in all over. And so Paul is actually writing and preaching to a church that's kind of got a diverse uh, bunch of filters because they're all filters. They're all different filters. And he's writing to this church. And a huge takeaway of Romans is to point out again that there's a sin problem, but there's a solution. And that solution is Jesus. Humanity has been impacted and infected by sin. Not only every area of our life, but also how we view and understand God and understand His ways. And then God is a plan that's called the gospel to deal with the sin problem. Amen? Y'all hanging with me? Okay, so first of all, we're going to kind of go through those first seven verses and we're going to unpack a few things. Um, Romans 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. See, to me, the thoughts that I have as I unpack this is it speaks of the gospel, which is the good news, which is the plan of God to redeem the problem of sin and the broken relationship that mankind had with God. I mean, it's amazing because it's something that we didn't do. It's something that He did on our behalf. You know, we'll find out later that a lot of times we're trying to actually make ourselves approve, but God, God actually, he, he did what we couldn't do for ourselves. Verse 2 says, which He promised beforehand, that's really important, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh. It shows that the seed of that plan was planted in the soil of the Old Testament and came to fruition in the New Testament. So what God was doing, now he wasn't speaking to so much, or Paul was doing, speaking so much to the Gentile believer in that thing. He was speaking to the Jewish believer and he was showing, listen, this has been presented Time and time again, through the prophets in the soil and, and, and seed of the Old Testament and bringing it into the new concept. He was tying, he was marrying this together. And verse 4 says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What's Paul doing here right now? He's at, remember the reason in, a, in, in, in 40, 47 AD, 49 AD, that they, 47 AD, they were arguing whether Jesus was the Christ? Paul was addressing that. He was saying, you know, I mean, in his mind, he knew what had happened. 
And then he writes, and was declared to be the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. According to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Verse 5 says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Now, I love that because it's grace that calls people, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about grace, but it's grace that calls people into leadership. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, a lot of times those are described as the grace gifts. It's grace that, listen, it's not that you earn something. It's just like God points out and calls forth some things. You look through the Bible, and there's so many people that would have disqualified themselves. Here's Gideon, and he's going, who am I? I should be up on the top of the mountain, and I'm hiding from the enemy, threshing wheat, and I'm not, I'm not, God's not going to use me. And he calls him, before he's done a, a single thing, he calls him, mighty man of valor. See, God's grace calls out what he has put in you. And then your partnership with him is to basically, okay, I'm in the traces, teach me, uh, you know, bring what I need to be, put the tools on my tool belt. But I love that it's grace that calls people into leadership. And then he says about the obedience of faith. Say obedience of faith. Now a lot of you stumbled maybe on obedience. Because we don't like, we don't like, there's something, in, I'll be honest, it's the sin nature. The old nature in you doesn't like the obedience part of it. Right? I mean, come on somebody. Who put a stop sign here? Right? I mean, you know, we just don't like, our, our flesh just doesn't like boundaries. Unless you're on a cliff. And then you realize that's a really nice, uh, that's a nice guardrail right there. I like that. But see, th- you think about this. Whom, uh, throughout the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So I want to take that phrase for the obedience of faith and unpack it this morning for just a few minutes. Because there's two, a couple things that Paul addressed. Two kinds of people and two types of thoughts that were happening here. On one, it was people who thought it was all about works. It was about that the works that helped with the sin problem cleared the things up. If I dress right, if I talk right, if I hold my mouth right, if I do everything right, then God will, will approve of me. And you know what? That's the law. And the law just didn't work because people just couldn't adhere to it. I mean, God said, here's the standard. And guess what? Look how, how you struggle because nobody can, no, no, nobody can basically achieve that. And so they're still trying to adhere to the law, trying to bring the law into this new covenant. And I mean, if you've been in church for any length of time, you will find out that there's still some of that stuff that goes on. There's, we have our traditions. Sometimes we take our traditions and we make them law. We do. I remember, I'll be honest with you, man. I remember the first time, the first time that I preached in, you know, outside of like, you know, men's camp or youth camp, I preached in jeans. I'm like, well, maybe if I just put a jacket on and a shirt and tie and preach with jeans, then it'll be okay. I'll, I'll, you know, make sure that some of the old religious people don't get... I remember the first time I played an electric guitar in church. I, I, I mean, because I'd heard stuff like, um, a bass guitar belongs in a bar. 
Played one time, we had, a, we had a Christian band. Played one time, we set up in a church and the drums were under the cross. And some people would say, hey, can you, can you move those drums so they're not under the cross? I'm like, this. oh, that's right. It's first Hezekiah. Yeah, so not put the drums under the cross. I'm sorry, I missed that part. But we lean towards that stuff. We do. We take traditions and we lean toward it. Come on, some of y'all just like if somebody sits in your seat. <laughs> right? I mean, because that's our, our, there's a legal, beagle nature that's in us. And Paul's writing to that. So here's the issue we're saved by grace. Through faith and not by works, not by your performance. Mankind has always tried to move the measuring rod, the standard, so to speak. Mankind has always tried to move the goalpost. It's interesting that the first thing that Satan did was to challenge the authority of God's Word. Do you recognize that today one of the greatest things that the church is combating is the challenging of the authority of Scripture? And it's still a strategy. My filter is the Word of God. I'm bound to the Scripture. I love that. I've adopted that. I want a shirt that says that. I'm bound to Scripture. I just hope my admin team just heard that. That's really good. <laughs> Cain wanted to give God a different sacrifice than what was outlined by God. Have you ever been a kid that was in trouble? facing consequences, and tried to argue that there was a better way? Wait, Mom. Wait, Dad. There's a better way. Because we want to change We want to change the vernacular. We want to change it. The other side felt like it was only faith and that nothing else was needed. There's a truth in that. That there was no participation between faith and obedience because if you taught and focused on the works, it would diminish the role of being justified by faith, as we see later on in Romans. So we've always struggled with dichotomy to a degree. Jesus was the lion, and He was the lamb. To be a good leader, you must be a good follower. To be a good leader, you must be a good listener. To be great in the kingdom, you must become the servant of all. So we've always struggled with the back and forth, and it's not one or the other, it's and both. Romans teaches that it's both. Paul and James both write that it's both. Faith and obedience are like a two-sided coin. They're one, but there's two sides, but it's still. Listen, you take one away. Kind of interesting, I borrowed this half dollar. I don't know who I borrowed it from. But it says on the front, it says, in God we trust. So you, you got this both and both thing that is beautiful. The problem is we don't really obey unless we believe, at least not true in obedience from the inside. God doesn't desire this outward confirmation, but inward conviction that leads to outward confirmation. It's like you've got to get this right, and then everything else works right first. But we can usually fake it on the outside. If I dress right, if I talk right, if I speak right, if I 
but yet inside how many of you realize that you know like I have a love relationship and hate relationship with the game of golf I do that's enough to make a pastor want to cuss I don't but inside I'm like saying pray for me but we can use a fake hit on the outside I'll give you another example before I became full-time vocational pastor because I believe everybody's in ministry I really do I don't like the term full-time ministry part-time ministry I believe that's not biblical I believe everybody has been given the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, the message of the gospel. You are bridges, you are roadways, you are pathways, you are relational, everybody should be. But before I came into where this was the vocational part, I still, I still believe deeply in going to church and making it a priority for my family. I mean, it was like I never felt pressured or or because I just wanted to conform, I tended in a faithful way because my conviction through Scripture was that I was being obedient to the Word of God. In, in Hebrews it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but even more so. And I just, I knew I needed to do the even more so. And, and part of that is because I was born in brokenness. I was straight out of a dysfunctional, bizarre stuff that is crazy and what I where I learned to be a husband I learned to be a father I learned to be a brother I learned to 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 basically do that was in the community of believers and it wasn't it was something I knew I needed and God knew I needed and that's what he called me to it so I had a conviction that this needed to happen my filter was bound in scripture and in making that commitment my family was changed my thinking was transformed you know it's like it's like this is like sometimes you'll see you know you'll see a, a you know a musician playing some some beautiful stuff right and you go oh man she is so gifted you know what she's done is she's actually partnered the passion the gifting is the passion that God the leaning the, the thing in her that actually says, I want to pick up something, I want to make music, but she's got to partner with it. She's got to partner with it. So you, you see, you know, like I was showing somebody like the calluses on my fingers that had come from 40 years of partnering with the passion that God put in my life. It's like sometimes, oh, they're so gifted. It's like, yeah, but do you know the thousands of hours that, that, that's taken to actually partner with what God, there's a partnership that God has called us to. And the Bible says that obedience is the outworking and the byproduct of proof of fruit that shows that we have faith in James 2 14 through 20 what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works cannot faith save him if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead but someone will say you have faith and I have works your faith is saving you and my performance is saving me and what's what's James respond he says 
He says, listen, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Together. It's a, it's a two-sided coin. He goes on to say, if you believe that God is one, you do well. You believe. But then he says, even the demons believe and shudder. There's something more. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Faith and obedience are a beautiful companion. This works good. This is, listen, what, what this coin signifies is value. If I give this to my brother, he realizes I've just received something of value. What Paul is teaching is of value today. It, it might be one of the most valuable things that you will receive understanding this beautiful companionship, this beautiful relationship between faith and obedience. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you'll obey. But we don't like obey. I know we don't. That's why we have to put that part of it to death. That goes to the foot of the cross. When I have faith, which is more than just a belief, it's a decision, a declaration, it's a stepping in that I'm going to trust God with, with everything that I have. It attaches me to the salvation provided through Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. I love that. Faith is that rope, is that anchor. And this is not by your own doing. You didn't earn it. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared prepared beforehand that we should walk in them it's like the picture I get is the master carpenter in a shop and he's actually creating a beautiful piece of furniture that he's not gonna hide in the shop he actually wants to display it he wants it to be useful so we see the order there's a grace that God provides unmerited undeserved and then we see faith then we see the works faith is a decision to trust there may be somebody here today. You've known about God. You have a belief. But maybe you've never taken that step, that decision, that declaration, that mm, I'm all in. It's like there was a point in time in my relationship with Robbie that it's like, okay, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're courting, we're dating. But then it took like, okay, I'm going to put a ring on her finger. I'm going to commit. I'm going to covenant. That, that's faith. And then out of that, we see the works. When I'm anchored in relationship by faith, the outpouring, the actions would be described as obedience. Obedience is a beautiful part of our relationship, and it's the other side of the same coin of faith. When I have faith, I obey God's voice. I obey God's word. I obey God's direction. I obey God's prompting. It's an act of my will which I participate, but I'm also spiritually motivated and empowered because in my own strength, I can't do what God has called me to do. I need His help. So the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. It's where the transforming of my mind comes in. My lean now, if you will. Before I leaned into sin, now I leaned into God's will. Not on my own because of the reframing and the renewing of my mind. I now have the Bible says I have the mind of Christ. I'm thinking, how many of you realize you've been walking with God for any length of time? And the power of the Holy Spirit, you start thinking different. I think different than what I used to think. 
praise God because I can't stand what I used to think. And when I have faith, my obedience is the activation and participation in the partnership that God has called me to. And there's something of value that's amazing. That's amazing. See, when I see the poor, I respond. And it looks like obedience. When I need to forgive, I respond, and that's obedience. When God asks me to trust Him with my finances and give, I respond, and that's obedience. When I serve, it's out of obedience. In fact, the more I serve, the more that I look like Jesus. And that faith coupled with obedience is my participation in heaven coming to earth. Have you ever considered that? A kingdom come and that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how that happens? Number one, we're praying that. We're aligning our heart with God's heart. But then our participation in this process. Paul talks about how will they know unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches? There's a participation. It's not like we can all just like, okay, it's, it's good. We got a kumbaya moment and, you know, Lord will speak to people. No, he's like, no, I want to use your mouth. I want to use your life. I want to use your heart. I want to use your, 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 your you know, the things that, that are in you. I want to use that time when you're at your workplace. I want to use that time. I want to basically you to be creating pathways and bridges of relationship that actually extend this gospel. And finally this morning, I love this, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to a church full of imperfect and broken people and people much like those here today. And what does he say? He says, you're loved by God. He says, you're loved by God. You're called to be saints. You're called on another level than what you feel like. There's a grace on you. He's saying there's peace on you. He's saying there's forgiveness through Jesus on you. He says there's hope. There's a future. He says although you are broken, there's a healer. Although your story is not finished, and maybe you don't like the chapters, he is the author, and he's the finisher of our faith, not you. Now don't get me wrong. You can write some of them chapters, but I'm telling you what. God says, hey, if you'll trust me, I'm going to rewrite some chapters. How many of you this morning, how many of you this morning would say, Lord, I would love it if you would rewrite some chapters of my life. Come on, man, I, I, I do. Rewrite some stuff in my life. How about this? How many of you this morning would say, Lord, would you rewrite some thinking that's been going on in my head? Come on. Would you reframe the way my filter would you help me see things in a different way? Come on, stand up this morning if you're responding to this. Would you help me perceive things the way that you perceive them? Would you help me hear things the way that you want me to hear them? Would you help me respond to things the way that you want me to respond to them? God, I'm tired of moving in my own filters, and I need a reframing. Lord, you bought this house, you delivered this house, and you're remodeling this house, and my participation in that remodeling is my faith and my obedience to you. 
Come on, how many of you can get noisy this morning for Jesus? Because this is a great work. Mm. You're loved by God. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter. Like you might say, I want to go to a different performance level. Well, that's really cool. But you know, God's not going to love you anymore. That he loves you right now. But I'm telling you what, he, if you, if you, whatever, here's what I found out, people, whatever part of my life that I've submitted to God, God is committed to change. Okay, God. But you know what happens a lot of times? We're like that stupid cat. We want to stay in that. There's a comfort zone in that captivity. There ain't no food there. There's no water there. There's an end there. I'm probably going to die there, but it still feels good. So I'm going to stay there. And God says, I don't want you to stay there. I want you to be free. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. There's people in here this morning, you need to be freed up. You need to be freed up from condemnation. You need to be freed up from shame. I just speak peace. Paul was writing this amazing letter to this amazing church, and he was speaking peace, and I speak peace on you today. If you're here and you've been captivated, you've been, you realize, man, I just struggle with shame. I want you to put your hand up. Break it in Jesus' name. Breaking shame in Jesus' name. Condemnation. You feel like, man, there's been so much condemnation. I mean, you, you, you don't know how to discern the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy. I want you to put your hands up. Jesus, in the name, in your name, we just break off all condemnation right now. For there is no calm, no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you're here this morning, everybody just bow your head and and, and close your eyes right where you are. You might believe in Jesus and believe about Jesus, but you've never taken the step to say, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare a, a declaration of faith in Christ. He's Lord and Savior. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to open my heart to Him. And maybe you've never done that. I want you to raise your hand. I want to agree with you today. Today, my declaration is I've become a follower of Jesus. If you're if you're with us online, there's a there's a link you can click. Maybe maybe you're you're watching this and you go, man, I want to move from just kind of knowing about Jesus to becoming a follower. If that's you this morning, I want to just get just give me a wave so I can see you. It's important that we do these things in community. Father God, we praise you, we bless you this morning. We thank you for your people this morning. Listen, can I just say this? Your story's not finished. He is the author and finisher of faith. There may be difficult things that have been happening in your life. In Romans 8.28, we're going to get there in about eight chapters. All things work together for good. Not some things, all things. God is a God of miracles. He can move the mountains into plains. He can take the scars and make them victory signs. He can take your test and make it your testimony. He can take your misery and make it your ministry. This is the kind of God that we serve. But you step in and with all of your heart, with everything that's in you, you say, God, I trust you and I'll obey you today.